Hello, welcome to Residential Spread. My name is Eric Lewis, and I am here with Josh Cohen. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing pretty well. I just uh, I just had to quarantine this week with my toddler because his daycare teacher had COVID. So now that uh, he's able to go back to school, I am I'm living the dream of being able to just do my work. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that wonderful dream. Yes, uh, <laughs> a beautiful dream. Yeah. Uh, hey, you know, do what you love. Never work a day in your life. Uh, we. <laughs> that was a good setup. <laughs> no, it's a perfect setup for yeah. what we're going to get into. Exactly. That was the idea. <laughs> also, here is Corey Gergen. How are you doing, Corey? Hey, I'm good. I'm I'm glad to be back with you all. I've missed you guys the last couple of weeks. And we are glad to have you back. <laughs> we are also joined by Molly Slavin. How are you doing, Molly? I'm good. Thanks, Eric. Um, my last name's actually Slavin. As I said that, I was terrified that that was the case. This is why I shouldn't have done the intro. Anyway, how are you other than being college? Once in college, I was in a professor's class, um, Valerie Sayers. You may, you may know her. Yes. And I had taken a number of classes with her before. And um, she said on the first day, like, Molly Slavin. And I was so used to being called Slavin. And I said, no, it's Slavin. And she goes, really? And I said, no, 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 it's Slavin. You were right. <laughs> we oh are also joined by Alex Edwards. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing well, um, and I guess I'm glad to know I'm not the only person who has trouble associating my the variations of my own name with myself. <laughs> That's why Molly's so good at the bit, she can relate. Yeah. Anyway. Wait on deck. <laughs> we are term limited term limited contingent faculty teaching humanities at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Like other schools, Georgia Tech has experienced massive disruptions, shifts, and changes due to the spread of coronavirus. We have now been teaching and researching in a pandemic for nearly a year and things are no more stable now than they were at the start. On this show, we investigate the sources and consequences of the policies that have led us here and discuss what it's like to navigate higher ed during a pandemic as members of the precariat. And this week, as we wait and continue to wait for the CDC to release new guidelines about safe school reopenings and as we watch vaccines roll out so slowly across the country on a state-by-state basis, we're seeing a troubling trend of teachers caught in the crossfire of a public health debate that they largely lack the power to control. Especially here in Georgia, uh, where we all teach and work, teachers are being made into a symbol of selfish vaccine line jumpers who care more about themselves than their communities. In today's episode, we're going to unpack this trend and basically ask, what the fuck is happening here? Um, I'm laughing because you nailed that F-bomb <laughs> perfectly. I, you know, I, <laughs> I, thank you. You're welcome. But so before we dive into this question of what the fuck is happening, um, we're going to, as always, take our temperature check. Uh, it's a number or a statistic that we think says something about um, the state of the pandemic and education in the United States. And our temperature this week is 470. That 
is the number of vaccine doses that were seized by the Georgia Department of Health um, on or around February 2nd. They were uh, taken from the Medical Center of Elberton, which is a private clinic that was previously the busiest vaccination center in Albert County, Georgia. And you might be asking, what was the horrible crime that the medical center of Alberton committed to have these vaccines uh, kind of violently seized and taken from them? Well, the crime was that they were vaccinating teachers because they thought that they were in the clear to move on to group 1B. This story broke... Um, I guess last week, as we're recording this, it was last week. Um, and it, it I, I was texting you guys about this. Like, it made me so angry that I was, like, rage crying about it. Um, what's your, what's y'all's reaction to this? 470 vaccine doses taken away from um, a, a busy vaccine vaccination center. Utter despair and horror. You're so good at that. You're so good at just like <laughs> four words that sum up everything. Oh dear. <laughs> I <laughs> Yeah, I those those emotions but also I was sort of confu- like I was confused about the purpose of it. Right? Like it would have I would have felt despair even if I understood why, like what cruel reason there was, but it, it just seemed it seemed also pointless. Like it was like motiveless malignity or something to like, like make the Shakespearean. I yes, I think that's right. I think that was my reaction as well. Um, so to to dive a little bit more into the story for those who maybe haven't heard it, um, basically what happened is um, this private clinic in Elberton, which is a pretty small county or a. a the county seat of a small county, Elbert County, has a less than 20,000 people living in it. Um, they were contacted by the Georgia Department of Health uh, in late January, and the Department of Health had one question for them. Are you vaccinating teachers? And the clinic, under the assumption that teachers were considered essential workers and that they were in the clear to vaccinate them, um, the clinic said, yeah, yes, we are. We're doing that. Uh, and then the next thing they knew with no warning um, Officials came in in a situation that sounded like a DEA drug bust to me. Um, they raided the clinic, <laughs> took these vaccines. Um, the the reporting on this has, uh, you know, said that that the clinic workers were crying and begging them not to take away these vaccines that they had been trying to get into the arms of their community members. Um, and they also now, the clinic has been penalized by um, they're not allowed to distribute vaccines for six months or they're not allowed to get any more vaccines for six months. I guess the Department of Health left them only the number of vaccines they needed to administer second doses to people. Um, but, yeah, it's such a bizarre and strange. Those are words that mean the same thing. It's like it breaks my brain. You know what I mean? I'm back to feeling like my brain is like broken because I just don't understand what is to be gained from punishing the busiest vaccination center in the county. Because they don't they don't think of it as a public health issue. They think of it as a political wedge and a more and a moral issue. Right. Um, it's not about yes. killing the spread of disease. Right, exactly. And that's and that's really like what this story is, what led us to want to talk about this this issue. Uh, 
in this episode because it matters that they were teachers, right? It matters that they were vaccinating teachers. And I, I think that point, particularly you referred to it as a wedge, Molly. I think that's right just because if it was just a, if it were just a matter of following procedure, why not just correct them on the procedure? The fact that it needed to be this dramatic seizure and redistribution um, to places that are less prepared to actually distribute these vaccines seems to make it something more. Yeah, this could have been a quick phone call. I mean, I also think it didn't need to be a phone call. But if you were really that committed to stopping the vaccination of the next phase, all you had to do was get on the phone and say, don't do this, right? Um, but instead it was this, as Alex phrased it, a big DEA-style uh, drug raid. This has huge vice principal energy to it. You know, it's just like, you know, the smaller your fiefdom, like the bigger the power trip. Like this is a tiny county. We're talking about like – a small number of vaccines going to teachers. This is not like some, like there's been widely reported stories of like people missing vaccine appointments and people in the grocery store getting vaccinated because like the thing had been thawed and you have a limited window. Like at this point, like somebody got a shot, it's done with, just tell them to stick to the correct protocols and move on. Like the punitive nature of it is absolutely like, ego driven by the people in charge. Like there's no, there's nothing forcing them to, to punish the people of the County. Like you're, you're now hampering the effort to vaccine, to vaccinate more people by shutting them down for six months. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the CEO of Albert Memorial hospital um, has, it was reported by the Georgia public broadcasting. That's just, there's no, the, it's just Georgia public broadcasting. Um, uh, in a news story that they did, um, they quoted this email sent from the CEO of the, the county's memorial hospital, um, in which the, the CEO of the hospital was begging the Kemp administration to rescind the suspension, saying that, like, it was one of the scariest healthcare decisions this person had ever seen. Um, there's no solution that's been offered to how to get vaccines to the community. Uh, and I'm going to quote like directly from this report that's quoting this email. Um, the CEO wrote, our hospital cannot take on the task of vaccinating the rest of our community. Our staff are already stretched to the brink from taking care of an increased census every single day. We do not, in all caps, have the staff to take care of the patients we have now or to do the few vaccines we were doing each week. There's no way our hospital can take over the vaccinations that the physician's office was doing. They were doing more vaccines in a day than our hospital could do in a week. And there's been no like, um, sorry, end quote. <laughs> this is me now. Um, there's been no sort of like, uh, you know, compromise or, or even acknowledgement, it seems like, from the state or from the Georgia Department of Health um, that they've actually put the residents of Elbert County in more danger now because they can't be vaccinated. Yeah, and this is this goes to something else that, like we've been talking about off mic that we can maybe get back into, but like one of Kemp's campaign issues was rural hospitals. And like, he didn't really have a plan, but like that was one of the things that he promised was that he was going to bring resources to rural hospitals. He's going to save rural hospitals. And now he's just like openly antagonizing one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a great way to help rural hospitals. 
expanding Medicaid. Like it's mm-hmm. com- it's just it's pure rhetoric. It's pure just like, oh, those those terrible cosmopolitan types in Atlanta are trying to dictate to you working class, you know, southern Georgians like Georgia isn't like you're not from the big city. Like we're going to save your rural hospitals like, no, you're not doing anything for that. Right. But yeah, absolutely. Um, but now, like, even the rhetoric is gone, right? And he's just, like, ignoring the pleas of this rural hospital to help save them, right? Yeah. And it would be the yeah. easiest thing in the world for him to, like, be gracious and send those vaccines back. Um, and I, for whatever reason, he's just, he's just not. And I, again, I keep get I, like, keep bumping up against how senseless it seems. Well, I mean, the guy who sued the mayor of Atlanta and other mayors for instituting mask mandates when he didn't want to institute one, it is a bit surprising that he isn't, you know, more more kind and, and gracious in this instance. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to understand how this plays, too. I mean, there there are a lot of issues here that go beyond optics, but it, it's confusing to me how – I guess this is what we're going to dive into, but, but like, what do the people of that County think? Do the people of Elbert County really look at this and think like, Oh, well, the governor has our back because if it were me, I would think like, Hey, give us our fucking vaccines back. I mean, yeah, no, you would think, right? Like, I mean, I, you know, just agreement with you. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. It's, 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 um, I can't imagine they're happy about this, but may, I mean, I've, I don't know. I'm not there. I'm a, I'm a big city Metro type. That's right. We, yeah, we, we, we all are. <laughs> well, Kemp has no problem whatsoever antagonizing us big city educators specifically. Right. So all of this stuff about, you know, uh, penalizing a County that, that, tried to do the right thing by vaccinating and it was only 177 um, school employees. It's not like they, you know, gave this, I don't know. Did the numbers even matter? I'm not really sure. I mean, it's just such a small percentage of the population and of who they were vaccinating, but regardless, um, you know, like I said, it, it matters that they were teachers, right? It's not that they were vaccinating, I don't know, grocery store workers or something like that. Teachers have become this, like we said in the intro, this symbol of these like selfish line jumpers. We have this story coming out of um, California, right, where these public or excuse me, these private school teachers somehow finagled their way into getting vaccinations when California was not like had not moved on um, to the 1B group. Um, and I don't think that that those private school teachers were necessarily doing the right thing. I think there's a lot of like privilege and, and troubling sort of ways that class is playing out there. Um, but, you know, honestly, like anyone getting vaccinated is good at this point, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a way that like, the schedule I think the ske- like people are trying to keep too rigidly to the schedule. And what really matters is that we get shots into arms. Right, exactly. And we see this is a little bit of a tangent, but we see this also in the story of this doctor in Harris County, Texas, um, who had uh, he was doing like a, um, a, a 
county-sponsored public vaccination drive um, for essential workers. And the thing is that a vial holds 10 doses. And once you pierce that vial, you have six hours um, before those doses expire and you have to throw them away. Um, and so this doctor, whose name I don't know off the top of my head, and I apologize, um, but he, it was like, 11 p.m. and he was like driving around his neighborhood going like who is a caretaker of someone over 65 like who has a pre-existing medical condition who can I get these nine doses of this vaccine to um, and he vaccinated a bunch of people and the very last one 15 minutes before he had to throw the vial away he vaccinated his wife who actually has an underlying like lung condition that that puts her at great risk for COVID um, and he was fired, and then they brought the district attorney of Harris County brought criminal charges against him. Like, and I mean, luckily the the judge threw it out immediately, saying that it was like totally baseless, and they weren't going to, you know, even like pretend to entertain it. But this like this trend of criminalizing like the best intentions of people to just make do with what they have and the situation that they're given during this pandemic is like really scary to me. I don't, it's hard to even know how to talk about it because it's so scary. Well, we're really addicted to criminalization and punishment in this country. So in the sort of grand theme of COVID just revealing what has kind of been there all along, it very grimly seems to fit, right? Yes. I agree wholeheartedly. We are so addicted to criminalization. And that's why the, the raid in Albert County reminded me so much of this kind of like a, a DEA drug bust, um, which I have actually uh, been part of at one point in my um, wayward youth. Um, no, you guys are all muted. I know you're laughing. I no, I we just get these little snippets of your life, Alex, in the course <laughs> of recording the show. Like you were part of like a uh, fixed gear bike gang. And <laughs> It's like, you know how on Friends, every once in a while, Phoebe, like, drops something about her past and all the other friends are, like, really surprised? It's kind of like that. <laughs> I'm the Phoebe of this friend group. <clears throat> I also I feel it. like your comments on the fact that we're all muted have become a second joke. I tend to laugh louder <laughs> when it comes around to, <laughs> I know you're all laughing but muted. This is all just an extension of um, my classroom persona, because when my students don't laugh at my jokes, I call them out for it and make them feel <laughs> really uncomfortable. That's how I do comedy. Um, anyways, I, my involvement in, I don't want to say involvement. I was at a club, um, like a, a dance club, nightclub, while I was in high school, um, and it was raided by the DEA. And it was one of the singularly most frightening things I've ever undergone, even though I was like n not at all a target or in any way really in danger. Um, criminalization. Teachers. Let's get back on track. <laughs> um, so Kemp has been out here, you know, even before this raid happened. Um, he's been out in the news talking about how, you know, he can't move teachers into the 1A vaccine group. He can't consider them essential workers. Um, in a way that would prioritize them for the vaccine. He got mad at the, who was it, Atlanta Board of Educators? Yes, the Atlanta Board of Educators, who, who formally um, 
they unanimously approved a resolution that urged the state to begin vaccinating teachers. Um, and he completely declined it. And he was said, you know, he, he went and did a big like press blitz where he was asking reporters, like, why do these teachers think it's okay for them to jump the line? And the, the subtext really seemed to be like that the teachers of particularly Atlanta, but it clearly this cuts across ur- urban and rural lines um, that like, they're so selfish that they're fine with letting your grandma die so that they can get vaccinated. And like, this is so troubling. Yeah. He seemed, he seemed even offended by the idea that someone would want to have a public discussion about the state's decision in terms of vaccine prioritization. Right. He called it playing politics to even talk about it because his mind was already made up, uh, which, um, this is very much in character for him. He's not one for like uh, sunshine. <laughs> He's not one for open records or or anything like that. But it was it was sort of interesting and horrifying to hear him lay it out that clearly. Like, what's even the point of putting this letter out? My mind is made up. You're not going to change my mind. This is just politics. And so, like any discussion of policy decisions, can be dismissed as as just politics and also trying to kill your grandmother. I mean, he's trying to kill everybody's grandmother. Like he refused to shut down businesses forever, and then he came up came up with that insane lie about not knowing about asymptomatic spread. And then we we opened earlier than just about anywhere else. Like this guy, I don't know if I've subtly telegraphed it enough, but I did not vote for Brian Kemp. <laughs> we. We opened so early that the Trump administration was worried. They about chastised it. us. They did. That is a fact. One of the many in the whole Trump Kemp Raffensperger saga, which is still ongoing, is an absolutely incredible artifact of this this uh, reality that we're living in. But yeah, Corey, you're right. Even even Trump's like absurd COVID task force that did little to nothing other than hinder the rest of the country from getting their act together. They were like. Looking at Georgia, like, uh, maybe don't open that fast. Well, and important also to remember that he didn't just open the state. He um, specifically opened gyms, nail salons, barber shops. Um, what else? I'm trying to remember. Those were the right? kind. Re- was it restaurants? Possibly. It was. It was businesses with like active lobbying presence in the state primarily. Oh, I took it as how, Go ahead. I took it as businesses that had primarily non-white employees, like businesses that were high touch and incredibly like dangerous spread vectors. It seemed like he surgically targeted um, you know, nail salons traditionally like th- there's a huge subset of Korean owned nail salons. Um, gyms, a very dangerous place to be for a respiratory, like an aerosol spread respiratory disease. Restaurants, of course, being, you know, largely staffed behind the scenes back of house with with non-white workers. Yeah. Yes, that I, I think I think a little bit of both, but absolutely. There's there's overlap there. Like the bowling alleys in particular, like had people mm. in Atlanta pushing. Mm, I see. Which is which is horrifying. Movie theaters? Um, Maybe that was the other one. Bowling alleys, movie theaters. 
It's all right. It's all right. It's just so absurd, right? Like the whole pandemic response has been absurd. And then to have to 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 suddenly like turn this conversation around, right? When Josh is right, like he's been fine with killing your grandma all along. Um, but to turn it around into this kind of to be able to create a wedge issue or or further something that's already been a wedge issue, right? We've talked a little bit on here about Georgia's obsession with charter schools, which is this like neoliberal program to decimate public school education. Um, and I think it's worth like just kind of putting on the table what's at stake with this. Obviously, we are sympathetic to teachers. I would be sympathetic to teachers probably no matter what. I mean, we all are teachers, though not um, K-12 teachers. Um, and at least one of us has been a K-12 teacher and is married to a K-12 teacher. <laughs> um, this is not just a case of we're going to get into the gender dimensions of this later, but this is not just a case of like whiny, scared, upper middle class people wanting to be special and wanting to be protected above everyone else. Like teachers are dying in the state of Georgia. Uh, two teachers in Cobb County died on the same day uh, a week or two ago from COVID. Teachers are sick with COVID their um part their their spouses are incredibly sick with covid we've had nine is that right nine pediatric deaths in georgia since the start of the pandemic and six of those have been black children we have real evidence that the schools being open is dangerous and it's killing people and most states are vaccinating teachers in some capacity it's not like it's not like no one is doing this and it's like this crazy idea that we're pushing for. I mean, more states are vaccinating teachers, uh, especially in some cities or some counties, than are not. Right. It's like 20, I want to say it's like 27 states by now, plus Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia. Yeah, and um, it's, it's even more if you count the ones that it's just in like some locations. Because like Tennessee is doing it in some places and not others. And like, I think the same thing in Nevada, right? That where the states have kind of given local um, communities or counties like um, permission to move on to the next phase, right? It's not necessarily that teachers are being classed in a different phase in terms of importance in other states. It's that in states like Arizona, they're already on to phase 1B. Um, even Alabama, I think, has now started vaccinating teachers, Um yeah, they're like they're like the lone southern state that's doing it. North Carolina is going to start next week. The thing that keeps kind of tripping me up about this, and um, I mean, there's got to be a logical explanation, but I keep thinking, you know, if Georgia teachers were unionized, at least had a strong union, like Brian Kemp's moves here would be reprehensible, but they would have a logic to them. As it stands, I don't. Like, what's the goal? It's not like he's trying to break a strong teacher's union because Georgia teachers aren't that strongly unionized, if they are at all. Um, I just don't understand what the purpose is in this. Like, what political capital he's going to get out of it. Unless the hatred of teachers is stronger than I think it is. I think I think one thing it does is it deflects blame from him for the slow rollout more broadly. Um, like it, it reminds me a little bit of like, we talked about this a lot on the show in the first season, like schools rushing to blame their students 
for COVID spread rather, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, and so there's a way that like, I like, I don't know, this like 1A, 1B, 1C rollout thing is like, has always been deceptive. And now that we've been in 1A for two months now, and Fauci is saying that by April, it'll just be a free for all. Um, I think that people are starting to get restless and this is like one way for him to deflect. It's not me. It's these teachers who want to jump the line, right? It's these teachers who, um, who need too much, who want too much, who, who want too much and who don't even want to be in the class teaching your, your children. Right. Um, and suddenly we're not, people aren't talking about camp. They're talking about teachers. We're talking about camp. But I think no, Corey, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that, um, you know, we we might have to kind of do this as a two part episode because there's so much history to go into um, with this context of teachers and the devaluation of teachers and how historically um, administrators and government officials have worked to, like, take labor power away from teachers. Um, But I think the other thing that's worth pointing out, even just like you know, right here as we maybe wrap the first half of this conversation is that um, Kemp gets to do two things here. Number one, he gets to blame teachers. He gets to to position them as thinking that they're more important than firefighters and ambulance drivers in the local sheriff's department, which is something that he has said. Um, But he also then gets to blame the federal government for not sending us enough doses, quote unquote. and I think that that is also a crucial part of this, particularly for a Southern Republican whose legacy is so built on, um, you know, local control and all of the Southern strategy kind of stuff that that plays into. So, yeah, it sounds like maybe this is a good place to wrap this week's episode so that we don't um, just like overwhelm listeners with how much we think about how much we're thinking about the teacher issue here. Um, So stay tuned next week. We will be back with the conclusion of this conversation um, and dig a little bit more into why teachers specifically, what's this rhetoric around teachers, not just in Georgia, but nationally. So thanks guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks.